This podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code SPEAKING. the speaking podcast you can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or also on bitute and youtube at speaking podcast i also have the awakening podcast to learn polish podcast the meditation podcast and the crypto podcast and all can be found on roycolin.com today my guest please welcome dr joe martin thanks for having me roy how you doing today i'm doing very well so i always like the guests to introduce themselves to the audience you might let people know who's joe well um the Shortest thing I can tell you is that I am um, a, a man who has a very strong faith. Um, that's the foundation of my, my entire life and who's happily married to a, a G.I. Joe of a woman. Um, she's um, ex-military, ex-law enforcement. And I have two adult kids, so we're now empty nesters. And I run an organization in which I get to help um, men win at what matters and even frustrates them the most is men. That's the short of it. I believe that my purpose and my passion uh, to be put on this earth is to um, use my God-given gifts to help others achieve God-given goals. And my God-given gifts are to communicate, to motivate, and to educate and to help others um, learn how to serve others and make this world a better place one man at a time. Well, that's how it's going to happen. And it's great when people want to do that to make the world a better place. And it's nice to meet a fellow man doing the same thing. So I always like to know the speaker's journey. So. Joe, when you were a young man, young boy, were you the guy standing on the top of the stage talking away to everybody or were you, you know, hiding under the, the desk? <laughs> just just the opposite, man. Um, I grew up, uh, the first time I ever had to get on a stage, I was in the first grade and um, they had a, a Christmas play. And I've never told anybody this story, but um, <laughs> they had a Christmas play and they wanted me to play Santa Claus. Um, in the Christmas play. Now, the funny thing about it, I grew up in the hood, Roy. So there, you know, I didn't think much about Santa Claus and there were no white people in our neighborhood. And so I had to be this little first grader who was six years old who had to play Santa Claus. And I was scared to death to do it. And um, my mom told me, to, I told my mom, I said, mom, I don't want to go on that stage and do that. She said, you can do it. All I had to do is pass out little gifts to kids and the audience and everything. And that was the first time I ever had to um, get on stage in front of a lot of people. But when I did, all I did is hand out gifts. I didn't really even have to talk. All I had to do was say is ho, ho, ho. That was it. Yeah, and you're a professional. Went, oh man, but they went crazy and they were just cheering me on and people were taking pictures and everything. And that was my first introduction to the stage. Um, the next time I got introduced to the stage, it was in church. I was 12 years old and they wanted me to do the welcome for all the new guests who were coming to our church. And I told my mom again, mom, I don't want to do it. Please don't let me get up on that stage. And she said, boy, they asked you to introduce the people. Just go ahead and just tell them, the, the, um, you know, welcome to our church. And Roy, I went up there, man. I was so nervous. My knees was buckling. And all I had to do was says, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Friendship Missionary Baptist Church, um, where we help um, people who need hope. And um, that's all I had to do. I said, and thank you for coming. 
it I mumbled, stumbled, my voice cracked, and everything. I, I forgot my um, what to say. I forgot to tell him to stand up. I forgot to tell him to sit down. And when I was done, it was the most frightening thing in the world. But when I was done, everybody just said I did such a great job. They were lying, but they said I did such a great job. And I actually believed it as a 12-year-old. And that got me out of my comfort zone to start doing it more and more. And the rest, as they say, is history. I've been um, picking up mics ever since. I think people don't realize for a child the power of words because I'm constantly doing that to my son, that how you can motivate him by just the power of words. And there's some people, unfortunately, they do the opposite. You know, they're putting them down. And if they do okay, decent, they're beating them up because they wanted to be number one in the class. And you know, it's, it, that's why I think, you know, the public speaking and people giving a message to spread stuff like that, that they, you know, to people to realize the power of words. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I always, it's when you're growing up as a, as a kid, there's so many things you want to do. You might want to be an athlete. You might want to be an entertainer. And I never would have picked um, public speaking and being a professional speaker, but I am so thankful um, that I was given this gift. And, you know, a lot of people, we, we do have the gift of gab. And to see what you can do to power your words, you don't recognize it. And you know, yes, you'll see a standing ovation. People clap, they laugh at your jokes, and everything. But you don't realize the power of your words. And I was an educator as well, until people come back to you later, and then they tell you something you said three or four or five years ago that you can't even remember you said. And they said how it impacted their life and how it changed their life. They're at a pivotal point. They're at a transition in their life, and because of something that you said inspire them and touch their heart in such a mighty way. It's the most humbling thing in the world, but it also helps you understand and appreciate the gift that you have with this thing called our mouth and the power of your words, like you said, to either build up or to tear down. And I mean, it's just, to me, it's still amazing to this day, people who have heard me spoke 20 years ago and they'll say things that I said, I'm thinking, wow, they remember that? And so it, it is a humbling thing, but at the same time, it's a powerful, powerful thing to to have a gift like that. And I know that is it 750 plus you've been paid as a speaker because there's a lot of people out there. They're trying to build, you know, get there. Some of them, you know, they're, they're doing speeches for nothing. Maybe they're in Toastmasters Club and they want they aspire to be a paid speaker. You might be able to help them. What's the best way to get to the road of getting a few pennies for your work? Well, um, I think you kind of alluded to it. You know, people are surprised to know, and it's probably now well over 750 now of paid speaking engagements. But I never, I was never part of Toastmasters. I never did Toastmasters. But um, I do recommend it because to me, the, one of the best ways is to give free presentations. Um, I only had to give free presentations probably about six months before I started getting paid to do it. And it took off after that. But I was fortunate enough that uh, um, uh, a young guy who I heard speak after one of his engagement, I asked him, I said, what does it take? The same question you're asking me. And he told me, he says, um, go out there and speak for free any place you can. First of all, he says, speak about something you're passionate about. That's something that you really, really care about that people couldn't shut you up. Even if they paid you to be quiet, they couldn't stop you. That you just had to tell it. He says, have that topic, then give it, just give it away to as many people as you possibly can. He says, and if you're any good, more than likely somebody's going to ask you, hey, how much would you charge, um, charge to do that again or speak again? 
but he told me the key was once you do it, if they like you, always ask them to refer you to somebody else. And so I just started simply by speaking for free, somebody I was very passionate about, which was how I overcame um, my childhood because I grew up in a very, very tough neighborhood, a lot of trauma, a lot of drama, a lot of violence, drugs, addiction, you name it. Um, and I told my story and I was very passionate about it. And everybody who I did it for free really enjoyed it. And they really said, man, this was very inspiring. And I said, hey, if you know three to five other people who could be uplifted and inspired by a story like mine, please let them know that I do this. And they did. And one or two out of those three they were referred to would call me up and say, hey, could you come do it for our group? Sure, free of charge. And he was absolutely right. I started doing enough of them. Then eventually somebody asked me the question that almost made me choke and have a heart attack. <laughs> they said, um, how much do you charge? I'm like, charge? What do you mean charge? You know, how much should we pay you? And I would advise this, the first time I got paid, um, I didn't know how to charge. And so they said, how much do you charge? I'm thinking, I don't know. I said, well, I heard that Tony Robbins charges like $2,000 per person who comes to hear him speak. I said, well, I'm just a, I'm just a nobody. I'll charge $2 per person, right? So I said, um, in my head, I said, I'll charge $2 per person. I said, um, how many people are going to be there? They said, well, I said, um, because I, I look at the number, which you never should do this. I said, I look at the number who's going to be there. I said, because I charge $2 a head <laughs> based on who's there. And they said, um, I said, how many people will be there? They said, oh, it'll be 900. That's $1,800 right there, right? <laughs> Yeah, so my first paid speaking engagement, you're talking about over 20 something years ago, was um, $1,800, which blew my mind. I could not believe it. And it scared me to death. I remember when I showed uh, my, my ex-wife, she saw, she said, you got $1,800 for speaking for 30 minutes? You're in the wrong profession, like that, right? <laughs> but I learned later, you do not charge by the head. The way I tell people now you charge, you charge based on how confident you feel in your ability. So in other words, somebody said, well, I would love to get paid $50,000 a presentation. Well, can you say $50,000 without your voice quivering? If you can't, don't charge that. Charge what you are confident in saying. And that's because you're going to get paid what they think you're worth. And so if you don't believe you're worth it, they're not going to pay you. So they should never have paid me that $1,800. Cause I was like, hey, $1,800. I should never have been charging that. I should have been charging $2 for the whole presentation because that's what I felt confident about and so that's what that was the first time I got paid and it just changed my life because I realized now that what I had was valuable and it was worth something and who who knew people would pay for it unbelievable what about like because some people have a mindset that they you know you know they believe okay I should earn x amount how can people get out of that? Like, I mean, that was a lucky break that you had. I mean, that's a fantastic, yeah, it was just you know, <laughs> but it's brilliant. But, you know, then you realize, Hey, if I can get that, I can get more as well. But some people, you know, they, whether they charge 200 bucks or 2000, you know, but they have a mindset and they, they don't want to break it. How, how would you kind of tell people how to overcome that? Well, as far as I can tell about how I overcame it, First of all, when you start getting out there speaking, you know there's a lot of speakers. Everybody believes they can do this and everybody can speak. And I tell people there's a difference between people who can speak and people who can do it as a profession. I was fortunate enough to do it as a profession, a full-time paid profession for over two decades. Most people can't, that can't be their only job. They need some other form of income. If I didn't speak, I didn't eat. It became my whole 
my whole meal. And so I tell people how you get over the mindset is once you start doing enough presentations and you realize you're getting paid, you, you got to know your industry and you got to know your market and what it can bear. I worked in the education market. Now I've done some corporate stuff where you can charge a lot more for corporate stuff, but I knew in the education arena, there's a certain um, range that you can charge when you're being an educational consultant, speaking in the school districts. I spoke at a lot of school districts. And so based on that, I knew who was in my market and I knew how many presentations that, that they've given. I knew what they were charging, at least roughly what they were charging. So I knew how I measured up. So my mindset became that, let me see what they're doing. Let me see what I do and how I compare to that. And I'm going to charge accordingly. Now, I will tell you as a rule of thumb that if you are a published author, automatically you can double whatever the average is because most people in your, your niche probably would not have written a book. And so that's when I was able to start charging more once I did my first book. Now, it wasn't a phenomenal great book, but the fact that I had author at the end of my name and it was published, that it gave me the credibility. So my mindset shifted when I saw what was out there and I looked at my credentials compared to their credentials and what I knew the market could bear. So my guess, the, the short answer to that, Roy, is it depends on your niche, on where you're speaking for, and then knowing that niche in that marketplace. That helps you with your mindset because now you realize, yeah, I am worth it. Man, I've had more speaking engagements than Roy and he's in my niche. I have less speaking engagements than Roy, who's in my niche. Roy has never published a book. I have published a book. And based on that and the credibility that you have. So that helped me with my fees and, and determine my fees without having that lack of confidence and breaking through. Because now it was no longer about what I thought I was worth is what I knew the market could handle. Are you following me? No. And what they were already paying. So I'm just going with the flow of the river of what they're already paying. And I would have done the same thing if I was working in the corporate market. I'm looking at how I stack up in my area of expertise compared to theirs, my experience, what I've published, what I've put out there. And I'm looking at what they're charging and say, okay, yeah, I am confident I can charge this because I do more than that guy who's charging this at the bottom. And I'm less than this guy at the top. I can go there. And so eventually I became one of the highest paid speakers in my niche because I have more credentials than everybody in my niche doing the same thing. So that helps you with your mindset. And I think the sector that you took, you know, in the education system, because I, I assume you'd get a lot of referrals as well because to some of the colleges or universities or whatever are connected. And also if you're pitching, you can say I've done it for ABC, whereas in the corporate, it's not really the same thing. Right. Well, in, in corporate, even if you if you have, um, if you've been, I know I have a lot of friends who are corporate speakers, they can tell you a list of companies they've spoken for. I haven't spoken for those companies, but at the same time, they're trying to get into the education arena. I can tell you hundreds of colleges and universities I've spoken for, they have it. And so it all depends on your niche. I think one of the best decisions I ever made as a speaker and another a speaker coach helped me with this is, you know, everybody who comes in to speak and say, man, I'm a motivational speaker. Well, who can you benefit? I can help everybody. Of course you can help everybody, but if you try to help everybody, you're not going to get paid by anybody because anybody um, can do what you're doing. But when you get, have a niche, when I've decided to say, you know what, I'm going to be known in this arena. Now, if you can get past your ego that you're not going to be famous, you're not going to be a Tony Robbins um, who's known by everybody. I don't care about being famous. 
I just want to be effective in the niche that I think I'm most effective in. And based on that, I will make a great living as a speaker if I stay in my lane of what I'm expert in. No different than now what I'm doing now working with men. Um, I no longer, I still accept some speaking engagement and education, but now I'm the now the men's speaker that people know. Oh, that's Joe Martin, the host of that top rated podcast, Real Men Connect. Yeah, that's the one who put out those books about helping men succeed and da 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 da. I know now that I found you get rich in your niche. <laughs> and if you can get past your ego and focus on being effective, that's how you can have longevity in this. But if you're trying to be a master of everything, you know, a jack of all trades, you will be a master of none. You got to focus and be targeted towards what your message is. I was known for what I do. Now, nobody outside of education probably knew who I was, but the people in education, they knew me. And that's how I kept getting so many gigs because they put me out there. And it's nothing greater than you're, you're making a lot of money doing this. And people say, but I've never heard of you. I don't care long as you keep paying me, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I wasn't famous, but I was famous in my niche, if that makes sense. Absolutely, and yeah, that's fantastic advice. I think it's the best advice I've heard it regarding the speaking, because it's one question I ask a lot and it's the, the best advice that I've uh, heard so far. Mm -hmm. so brilliant. And, and I, is it nine books that you're authored and co-authored? Uh, it's probably or more than that. It's probably around about 12 <laughs> or something. I, I've done so many. Um, and, and also, I, and I know this is going to sound crazy. I wouldn't advise people to do that. If I had to go back and do it all over again, I wouldn't have written so many books. It's because I, I'm a content creator, so I can do it. And a lot of people who I worked in the education arena with, they knew that, man, if I co-author a book with Joe Martin, who's already out there, that's going to help me get credibility as well. So I co-authored a lot of books and I've written a few myself. And, but I wouldn't put that many out there. You don't need that many books. What I would tell people to do, unless you're going to be a full-time author, you need to have, I would say, at least one no more than two what I call signature books. And this is your, your main message that you're going to be known for. could be your calling card to me. And I, maybe I'm different than most people, Roy. To me, I don't write books to get rich. I don't write books to make a lot of money. I use books to market what I do. And so to me, a book is just an expensive business card to me. So I got 12 something business. I don't need 12 business cards. I just need one or two great um, cards, you know, business card books that they will be known for and say, hey, we need to bring him to speak on this. This is what he's known for. I'm telling you, the tighter your niche, the easier it is for you to get more speaking engagements because you're known for that thing. I, I give you a prime example. I remember, um, I was, um, um, they were looking at these different speakers to hire for this education, educational event. And most, I don't know if your listeners heard it, but there's a, a famous guy in, who came up in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. His name is Les Brown. One of the most phenomenal speakers in the world. Everybody knows Les Brown, you know, in, in our, you know, out there in the speaking arena when I first got started. Well, I was competing for a gig and I said, well, who else are you considering? for bringing in for this speaking. It was like for a huge, it was, I think it was the National Education Association, which is our largest teachers union in the country to my millions that they have in it. And I said, who are you considering? And they mentioned Les Brown was a consideration. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm never gonna get that gig, right? Now understand Les Brown was at that time, and you're talking about over 20 years ago, he was charging probably about $25,000 for one engagement. 
And at that time I was probably charging maybe four or five, you know? And so, but they had all, but they could, but they have unlimited budget. They can hire anybody they want to because they're, you know, they got a lot of money. Well, they end up picking me. And so of course I asked them like, why would you pick me? Les Brown is more popular. You got the money. It's not like you trying to save money just to get me. And they told me, and I quote, the reason why we got you, um, they said, Les Brown is a great, awesome motivational speaker. You are a great, awesome educational speaker who we know can relate to the teachers in our audience. Les Brown has never been in the classroom. He's never um, worked in a school, but he's spoken to a lot of people. We want somebody who can relate to the teachers, can relate to their frustrations and their headaches. That's why I'm telling you, man, if you know your niche, you will beat out even some of the best speakers out there because they're saying, hey, I want a specialist. I don't want a generalist because I guarantee you Les Brown could have done a better job motivating them than I did because he's a better speaker. But what he couldn't do is share those classroom stories in those war stories or when kids are getting on your nerves, you want to choke the living daylights out of them, but you love your job. And you don't want to lose it. They needed somebody who could relate to those educators. So that's why it doesn't pay to try to master everything. Be a master of what you do best and you'll be known for that. And I assume the following year, Les Brown, when he was asking who else is going for this job and he heard your name, he was like, oh no, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, now, you know, it's funny because um, uh, I remember it was, I, I tell you, I don't do a lot of stuff corporate, right? And um, I did get one corporate gig. Um, it was the CIA. The CIA asked me to speak for them, which was, that was interesting because man, they knew everything about me, more stuff than I knew about me. I'm like, how did they find all this stuff out about me? But um, they asked me to speak for them. And so I went and spoke for them and everything. And I asked them, I said, so, um, wow, this was great. I said, how'd you guys hear about me? They said they heard about from somebody in education, had heard me in education and they recommended me to them. So I said, wow, so what other speakers have you guys brought in? And they mentioned all these great big speakers and they mentioned Les Brown again, right? Now, by at that time, Les was charging maybe $50,000 for a speech, right? And once I, and I think I charged him 10,000 to do that. And I said, wow, you guys had all those speakers? They said, yeah, they said, can we give you some advice? I was like, what? They says, you're charging too little. That's what they told me. They said, dude, we've had all these great speakers. You're on the same par with them. You could be charging a lot more. Now they're right, but I didn't because they said that that's true if I was in corporate, but I was in education. And so I took that in as great advice for me. If I decided to do corporate, I need to raise my fees. But for education, I got to know what the market can bear. So even though you may charge a certain fee, you charge what the what the market can bear for you as a speaker. But trust me, if you love what you do in your niche, you'll never have to worry about those big other speaking again. I never envy going back to corporate because I can make more money. I have more business that I could handle in education anyway. And so I was happy doing that. So that was great for me. Like I see um, like some, especially more in the corporate kind of or events, when a speaker has a book, they're kind of selling it. In the education, is that something that you would do afterwards or is it something that you just kind of let them know? In other words, sometimes after you're at the back of the room and you're selling, is that something in your sector that you would do, have done, would recommend? 
Yes, I, yeah, yeah, we do that in the education arena too. But I'll tell you one, because I, I haven't done enough corporate to see if it works. But one of the advantages of working in education is because education is already bent towards learning. You know, they want to learn because they're teachers. And so one of the easiest ways for us in the education, arena, which I love, we don't usually have to do a lot of back of the room sales because when we're going in, in the education, arena, they always ask us, do you have any resources? Do you have any books for our for our students, um, for our teachers, for our staff? And I said, oh yeah, we got these books right here. Well, we would like to order copies for every one of them because we have a budget set aside just for that. In other words, they don't want us charging the teachers or the students. They'll pay in advance for, if I, I remember this one gig I had, um, I think they had, um, it was 500 people. They bought 500 books. Wow. 500 books for every teacher that I was going to be training. I got more money from the books than I did from the actual speaking fee before I even showed up. And so that doesn't normally happen in corporate a lot, you know? And so maybe it does. I'm not familiar with it, but I know in education that happens quite a bit. They have a, a educational resource budget and they have money set aside to buy your stuff before you show up. Colleges do it. School districts do it. And so you can do it that way. And also, depending on the kind of event, you can also sell at the back of the room. But when you're in, edu at least in the education arena, we don't do hard sales. You know, kind of, I'll tell you, I'll give you a quick um, trick that, that, that I've taught other people to do, in, at least in the education arena. What I would do is when I'm speaking on, from the stage, and if I got a book to sell, I would have, I'm looking for one of my books right now, it's behind me, but um, I would have one of my books and I would ask a question of an uh, of the audience interacting with the audience. I say, "Who can I uh, say? Who can tell me da 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 da?" And they'll say, "They'll raise their hand." I can. I said, "Great." I said, "I got a great gift for you." And I hold up my book. I said, "This book." I said, "What's your name?" My name is Roy Coughlin. Okay, hey Roy, everybody, give Roy a hand. This book is for Roy. Roy, hey, Roy, I'm gonna be in the back of the room. Please bring that book to me, and I'll personally sign it for you. Again, everybody give Roy a, a, a great hand. What did I just do, Roy? I just, so I just told you I have a book. I just told you where I'm going to be in the back of the room. And now you're going to start the line because you're going to run back there to get your book signed by me. And when you go, guess what everybody else is going to do? They're going to follow you. And so I, do, I used to do that in education. So, you know, that wasn't a hard sell. Please buy my book. Hey, I'm going to give you a deal. If you get this, I'll give you that. It was a subtle, hey, give one of your colleagues a hand for getting the right answer. Man, I want to personally sign that for you. I'll be in the back of the room. Please bring your book so I can personally sign it for you. And I keep moving. Brilliant. And now everybody already thinking, man, I got to get that book. And so that's how, that's how I do. We don't do, I, at least I didn't do hard sales in education. Now in corporate, they want, you know, you can, They'll let you pitch your book and everything and nobody gets offended by it. But I love education because most time they bought the books before you even got there and they give them out. And did, but now the sad thing though, you have to stand there and sign 500 books because everybody got them all for free. So I'm sitting there forever signing books, man. It's a trip. Well, the only, the, the positive to that is, you know, sometimes, I mean, I, I've never dumped books, but I mean, sometimes people, if they're moving or whatever, they'll never get rid of a book that there's a personal signature on it from the author. Absolutely. Now they may not ever read it either, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're right. They don't throw it away. 
I remember um, when I met Zig Ziglar, the late Zig Ziglar, I had time to spend with him and he had given me, I had him sign um, my Bible. It was a little Bible that I had. And he signed it for me. And I had never read that Bible since I got it back from him. <laughs> but I still have that Bible with his signature in it, his autograph in it. And like when you're on stage, when you're doing, um, is it an hour typically? What's the typical when you are being paid as a speaker? Well, it depends um, on the kind of, like I do keynotes, I do workshops and seminars. And I'll give you an example. A keynote will be anything less than an hour for me, uh, for an hour. But, I, but in education now, this is not always true with corporate. But again, in education is different because they do professional development. And so they have what they call in-service days. So I do programs that could be six hours long, six hours. And so a full day in education would be a six hour program. So they said, Dr. Joe, we want you to come and do a full day program. That's six hours. Dr. Joe, we want you to come and do a half day program in service for our teachers. That's three hours. Um, Dr. Joe, we want you to do a keynote for our um, come back to school meetings for our teachers. That's gonna be less than an hour, about an hour. And the shortest presentation I've ever had to do was probably about five minutes, a five minute presentation. They still paid me full fee for it. But you know what? Those are the toughest ones to do, the shorter ones. They're the toughest because you got you to take off all the fat and get right to the meat and still be impactful and memorable at the same time. So with us, um, the programs will be longer. And what I've heard from my speaking friends that they, they're just blown away. You can give a six-hour program? <laughs> they're like, dude, how do you keep their attention for six hours? Because you're, if you're a classroom teacher, you already know how to do that because you do that with students all the time. They're in your face seven hours a day. And so if you don't keep your students engaged, you'll lose them. So to me, giving a six-hour program isn't hard for me, but what I realize, a lot of speakers can't do that. And people ask me, what do I prefer, a longer program or a keynote? I got to tell you, I actually prefer the longer program because I don't have to rush. And, I'm so, and it reminds me of being back in the classroom, and I love when I was an educator. So to me, it's like I'm so relaxed doing a longer program because now I can get them to interact. I can break them into groups. I can keep it going. And it is wonderful. In the time, even though a lot of people don't want to come to a six-hour training, what they always used to tell me when they need to come to the, those long trainings, man, I can't believe that was six hours. Man, that went by so fast because I know what I'm doing. I know how to be a teacher in the classroom. And what better way to teach teachers how to educate their kids than to show them I'm going to treat you as if you're my students and I'm going to show you how I keep you engaged for a full day. And so it builds my credibility that, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. Look what he just did for us. And I thought I was going to hate this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what do you think the kids are thinking? The exact same thing. And like, do you have notes or how do you, for something like six hours, how do you kind of remember, do you have, is there a PowerPoint that you're using or do you just have a system that makes you get through the six hours? Yeah, I'm not a, a big techie person. And I try, to me, my visual aid is I'm very animated. And I move. I do a lot of movement around. And so, I, I mean, I'm making faces and everything. And I know a lot of speakers are not that way. So I tend not to go to PowerPoint or uh, video presentation unless it's over two hours. Now, so if I'm doing a full day program or a half day program, yes, I'm using PowerPoint presentations but I'm not one of those people who put everything on a PowerPoint. I try to use as few slides as possible because I want the attention to be focused on me and how I'm delivering, how I'm telling my stories. But as far as the notes are concerned, I'm old school. So a lot of people, they use their iPad and everything or a computer. 
I don't use, I have a, a sheet and all I do is I write bullet points. And so for a six hour presentation, that will probably be about 30 points. Now, now it's, I'm not giving them 30 points. I'm talking about 30 notes of just words. And I write no, nothing longer than a sentence to kind of prompt me, you're gonna talk about this. It keeps it fresh. Cause some people want to do word for word. I don't do that. I kind of let it go and just, cause I know I have the natural gift to do it. Now, the only crazy thing about it, what I don't like about that system is after I do a program and they want to invite me to do another program or they want me to come back and do a program, they'll say, can you do the exact same one you did before? The problem is, yes, I can, but it won't probably sound the same way because I didn't use a script. I just used off the top of my head what I remember. And I'm because I've had people say, I've heard you give the same presentation like four times now. They never sound the same. What are you? Are you making the same points, but why does it sound different every time you do it? I said, because I'm not using a script and something may have happened. I changed the story around and I'll use another example, but the points stay the same. And so to me, that's the toughest part is sometimes you can't recreate that same magic <laughs> that you had before when you did it the first time. But no, I just use an outline. Uh, I wish you could see my desk right now. I do my I do my shows. I just do bullets. Everything's about bullets, and I just kind of impromptu, and just go from there. The only thing I wish I could record all of them because a lot of stuff I'm like, wow, that was good. I need to use that the next time, you know. But I know that's just divine inspiration that allowed me to do that. Brilliant. And uh, like finally, I know your podcast is extremely popular. It's in the top half percent in uh, listen notes. So uh, you might tell people what, what's it about and uh, how you got to change into the podcasting instead of you know, going around to all the schools. Yeah, you know, as far as um, when I did the podcast, I, and, and I, I tell you what, I didn't know what I was doing. I've never done podcasts before in my life. All I knew is that based on my journey, through life and me transitioning from education to now accept this calling to help men develop as men. Um, I've been a podcast listener probably for the last close to probably 30 years. People keep thinking podcasting is new now. Everybody's doing it now, but it's not new. It's just got popularity probably within the last 10 years, but I've been listening to it for about 30 years. And when I decided to work with men, I was looking for podcasts to help me understand, understand men better so I could learn and I couldn't find what I was looking for um, for men. And what I was looking for was a faith-based podcast that helped men deal with the tough struggles in life, dealing with addictions, anger management, dealing with their fears, dealing with um, pornography, father wounds, all the stuff that nobody really wants to talk about as men that causes women headaches, and they wonder what's wrong with my husband. How come he's not more intimate with me? How come he doesn't open up? How come he's not vulnerable? But I want it from a faith-based perspective. And I couldn't find anything that had any longevity. Other people would try. And I noticed that, wow, they haven't released a podcast in two or three years. Or they only did it for a few podcast episodes and they stopped. And I'm thinking, there's got to be somebody targeting this. So I follow my own advice that I'm not going to create a podcast for everybody. I'm going to create a podcast just for a, a tight niche. That's for men of faith who want to be better husbands, better fathers, and better spiritual leaders, but they weren't taught by their own dad. They had to learn the hard way by trial and error. So the people who listen to our podcast, 
more than likely, I will guarantee you, more than likely, they did not have a positive male role model in the home because that's who we were targeting. Well, I'm thinking maybe that niche is too small. Who's going to listen to that? Right. I said, but I know that you want to be an expert at what you know. So I said, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care if anybody listens. Man, if I remember telling somebody, said, Joe, what's your goal? I said, man, if I get maybe 10,000 people to listen, I'll be good. You know, that, that's enough to make an impact. I said, 10,000 people. Little did I know, <laughs> within um, less than a year, we become the top rated podcast in our niche. And now we average about 10,000 a week of new listeners, 10,000 a week. My goal was 10,000 in a year <laughs> and who knew? And it is so tight, it's such a tight niche. So we don't have the largest podcast out there in the podcast sphere, but what we do, we have a very, very successful podcast for this niche. And now other people come to me, I don't even have to look for guests anymore. They all come to me asking to be on our show. And now I've watched now other guys who are now targeting the same niche they're doing better because I've helped them become successful. People say, Joe, isn't that your competition? There's no competition when you're trying to change somebody's life and you're trying to help men succeed. I refer them to other people's podcasts. If you want mine, great. Because I know as a podcast listener myself, when I've been listening to podcasts for the last 30 years, right now on my phone, I probably got at least 15 podcasts I listen to. About 15 at the minimum. So I can't expect that my one podcast is going to be everything for everybody. So I want to see other successful podcasters, especially in our niche, do well, because if I don't have something for you, maybe you can go listen to Roy's podcast for men. And so we kind of cross promote and help each other. So we've all been on each other's shows and everything like that. And also that's how we get also get speaking engagements now for men through the podcast as well. Uh, it sounds like you should have the niche podcast because you've got two fantastic niches with the education for speaking and also the podcast because you know the numbers have worked out for you which is uh, incredible now but you know what's funny about it though is that this niche isn't as large as the niche with education education is more organized you can you have a, a you know where to go to find them with men they can be everywhere in different arenas and everything so it was a tougher task to try to do it to build it this way for men it, it was really tough but the good thing about it is it was less competition to get in when in education i had to compete against a lot of people but it was also easier to break in the men's market you got to corral them. it's like corralling cats they're everywhere man you got to try to find them and get them and but you had to, i had to be very very persistent and consistent with never missing an episode we're now we just released yesterday episode 570 and I've never missed a week never and we let and we put out two shows a week and we're now getting ready to go to three shows a week but I've never been I mean sick show comes out I'm on vacation a show still comes out we never missed that and I think that also helped us succeed because they knew this thing is gonna this thing is not a fly by night he's here and he's staying and now some of the guys call me the godfather now of this niche. I said, no, I'm not the godfather. I just got there and stuck longer than everybody else did. That's all. And I think that's very important because with the Polish one that I have, 
you know, I do two a week and I'm very consistent, you know, Monday and Wednesday, just constantly. Yeah, that same but, day with me, Monday and Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> with the speaking, I kind of done it. And then I kind of said, yeah, I take a break. <laughs> it's the worst thing you could do. Like you just, and no, now you I, I've you, yeah. no, so now I'm back and I'm just consistent getting them out again. And if you're going to do it, you know, don't, don't think you take a month off or whatever, have the recordings. Now I have over 10 of the speaking podcast recorded and you know because there is times you might have to travel or you might be doing stuff but you'll always have them done yeah and because to me i realized that the great thing about doing podcasts if you're not doing a live which i don't do my shows live i I couldn't do it if i had to do a live is that like we have shows now i have shows that are going to come out before i have to do another one until mid-september you know, and at the airing of this, and I hate to, to date it, but we're talking what we're in July. And so I don't have to do another show. It's going to keep coming out to a week until mid-September. And so we get to have them in our queue ready to be released. So even I can't, I can afford to get sick. Yeah. <laughs> I can afford to now, because I know August is usually, even though I'm in the men's arena now, I still get speaking requests a lot in August for education because school starts back in our country in August, colleges, the school districts. So I get, I travel a lot in August. I can't interview people in August because I'm on planes everywhere going all the time. So our shows will be released automatically for the month of August. I don't have to touch anything and do anything. And so that's the great thing about podcasting. There's no excuse why you can't consistently put out material if you um, prepare and do it ahead of time. And like you mentioned about getting on each other's podcasts, because I do that as well with a, a lot of it. And we're just, because when you know the message is right as well, it's not, like I've even said that to one of the guys on the Awakening podcast, if one person listened and we changed our lives, would you do it? And we Absolutely. said we would. And I mean, you know, like, as you say, sometimes 10,000, you know, it's when you see numbers like that, it kind of blows your mind away to to see, you know, you're happy enough at the start. You see, you know, I, the first milestone is like 100. You go, wow, this this has got to 100. And then it just, and after a while, you stop looking at the numbers. And then it's just kind of, you yeah, know, it, it, you're yeah, the reaching. numbers now don't even mean anything anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I know when I remember when I saw that we were in 136 countries, I'm like, how? I said, how is that even possible? I said, I only speak English. <laughs> how can they understand? I don't need to know how they figure that out. But, you know, and what's also funny about it, too, is I get asked to be on a lot of other people's shows now. Because of our podcast, I'm invited to other people's shows. And, Roy, what I can tell you is that normally the shows I go on is targeting my niche, dealing with men issues. Women are bring me on their shows to talk about men's issues. Um, I agreed to be on your show because... I've never done a speaker. I've never been on a speaker's podcast before because so to me, this is, I don't get to talk about the speaking business that much because nobody ever asked me anymore about it because now what I'm doing. And so I just thought, I said, you know, I'll be on Roy's show because it'll be fun just to talk to somebody about it. Cause I don't get to talk about speaking. I only get to talk about what I do, but not speaking. And so this is great for me to be able to talk about and chop it up with another guy who's a professional speaker too as well, because I miss talking about it. You know, I miss talking about the craft, the the business side of this. I'm always dealing with the message, but not the business of speaking. So thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it, man. It has been fantastic. And to be honest with you, I mean, I've done over a hundred shows on this one. I mean, and the way you explained about the payment and everything, it's what I've needed because I'm constantly trying to get it. So I know that plenty of the listeners will get value 
from it. And, you know, some of them are aspiring to do podcasts. I know there's a lot of the listeners, they're podcasters as well. So there's plenty of tips and tricks on that. So thanks a million, Joe. So how can people get in contact with you? Oh, it's easy. All they have to do, they can go to our website at realmenconnect.com, realmenconnect.com. And through that, they can contact us through social media. They can email us, they can um, um, call us, whatever. Everything they need is there. And we have a lot of resources and everything. If they heard me on your show and they have questions about speaking, I, you know, I used to, I forgot to tell you this too, Roy, that when I was in education, I became so successful at it. I became a speaking coach not to teach them the craft of speaking, but the business of speaking. So if they have questions about speaking and they want to pick my brain on something, just have them, they can just email me through our website. Excellent. I appreciate that. Brilliant. And I put all the links on the podcast description, both on the audio and the video. So thanks very much, Joe. My pleasure. So you'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or on BitChute or on YouTube, the Speaking Podcast. Be sure to give us a thumbs up five-star review, share with your friends. Until next week, take care. This podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code SPEAKING. Mm-hmm.